Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Rich in Grace series, which walks through the book of Ephesians, discovering the incredible riches that we have in Christ. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Let's go this morning to Ephesians chapter number three, and Ephesians chapter number three this morning... And we are going to uh, continue in our study, uh, Ephesians chapter number three, looking, of course, uh, at this, our series, Rich in Grace, and understanding that God and his grace is never going to run out in our lives. And I'm thankful that there's not an end to the grace of God for us, just like there's not an end uh, to God's love for us. And this morning, we're going to continue in this study. But before we get going into the passage, uh, I want, let me ask you this question. Have you ever received a, a response from somebody uh, that you were not expecting? Maybe it was something someone did or something someone said. Uh, have you ever been in one of those situations when what you thought was going to happen or what was going to be said, that's not actually what happened or what was said? How many of you have ever been in that situation? Someone did something that surprised you. It shocked you almost. If you pay attention to anything uh, in the news, then this week you probably saw something that took place at some award ceremony somewhere where there was an actor that slapped another actor. Uh, it shocked everybody. It shocked everybody. I had to fit that in somehow. But anyway, it shocked everybody, the response of, of Will Smith on Chris Rock. But here's the thought this morning. Every one of us have situations where something was happening and how we thought it was going to take place, it actually didn't take place. I have many of those instances in my life, but one in particular was with Lena. And Lena, she was, let's see, uh, how old are you right now, 14? She was, she was seven. She was seven when this happened. And uh, I thought, I'm gonna show you a video, so I'm just prepping it, okay? I thought she was gonna lose her mind. But right after the tooth came out, I thought she's going to lose it. That's why I had Robert in the office. November 2015, Robert's in there recording. I'm like, dude, my daughter's going to lose it. We've got to get it on record because I'm going to show it at her wedding. And uh, something like that. And, uh, and right as that tooth comes out, she just looks right up at me and she just goes, it worked. Yeah, it worked. And I honestly, Rob and I both like looked at each other and I remember him, him laughing because that was not the response. It was not the response that we were expecting. And I was expecting her to wig out like her other siblings. <laughs> well, at least one of them. I'm not going to name him, but he was losing teeth before her. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say as to who it was. Now, listen, you know what? We all have those times in our, I'm kidding. We all have those times in our life when somebody does something that we just don't expect. This morning, as we come to Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 13 down through verse number 21. But as we come to the passage before us today, we are discovering something that I honestly would not expect. And here's why. If you've been with us in our study, then you know that Paul, he was an apostle, he was a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went around telling people who Jesus was, and his travels brought him to the city of Ephesus. And you can read about it in Acts chapter number 19, where Paul would go into the city of Ephesus and would reach many people with Jesus. Well, fast forward 10 years. 10 years later, Paul, he's sitting in a prison cell in Rome. 
He's awaiting trial before Nero, the Mamertine prison. You can look it up. Some here today have even been here to uh, this prison cell in Rome, uh, not doing time. They were visiting, just so you know. Uh, It's not operable anymore. But anyway, uh, Paul was sitting here in this jail cell. And I don't know if you've received letters from people in jail, but Paul in jail, he decides to write some letters. He writes letters, uh, the letter of Ephesus, the letter of Ephesians. He writes from this jail cell, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But what's interesting, what is the, uh, the thing that happens that we do not expect is if you're sitting in a jail cell, what are you writing to people? I've received letters from people in a jail cell, and their letters go something like this. Hi, my name is Fred. We'll go with Fred this morning. I'm writing to ask you for help. I'm writing to tell you that I have committed a crime, and now I want to change my life. I need you and your church to partner with me and to support me. Can you sponsor me and help me with some snacks from the jail store? Can you send me materials to encourage me? And then when I get out, can you help me find a job and a place to stay? Sincerely, yours in Christ, Fred. And I've, I've received letters like that. If you're in jail, you know what you're thinking about? You're thinking about getting out and you're thinking about this. How can I get everybody else to help me? If I'm sitting in a jail cell, I'm not writing people to be an encouragement to them. But yet, In this jail cell, that's what we find Paul doing. Paul's doing not what we would expect. He's writing a letter to be an encouragement to the believers at Ephesus, whom he met 10 years before. Now he's writing to them and he's saying, hey, I wanna encourage you. And he's writing to them to encourage them about the grace of God that we've been learning about and about the the unsearchable riches in Christ that we've discovered. And he writing to them about all of the resources they have available to themselves. But this morning, what's super interesting to me is it happens two times in the letter of Ephesians. Paul writes, and he doesn't ask for prayer. He writes and says, here's what I'm praying for you. We've all been going through trials. You know what I do when I go through a trial? I'm like, hey, would you pray for me? And we need to do that, don't we? Man, it's good for us to seek the prayer of others and and to desire for people to be praying. I want people praying for me. You want people praying for you. But in the midst of my trial, sometimes the last thought I have is, hey, I'm praying for you. And yet this is what Paul writes this morning. He writes to the believers at Ephesus, hey, as I go through my trial, this is crazy. He writes, as I go through my trial, I recognize that you also have trials. And I don't want you to grow weary in trials. I don't want you to be weakened because of trials. Instead, I'm praying some specific things for you as you go through trials. And I believe that Paul's prayer can be a prayer that we can pray for ourselves, for those around us, but then also it can be a prayer that we can answer out every day in our lives. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning as we look at this unexpected, this not expected response from Paul. Stand with me if you would. Let's read our verses this morning. Ephesians chapter three. And verse number 13, all the way down through verse number 31, Ephesians chapter three, and verse number 13, all the way down through verse number 21. Wherefore, Paul says, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. 
I'm praying that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and what is the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, and that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. This morning as we come to this eighth message in our series and really the last message that we'll be in in Ephesians for a little while, we're going to discover Paul simply saying this to the believers, I'm in a trial, but I don't want my trial to weaken your walk with God. I don't want your trial to weaken your walk with God. Instead, you can make the decision that trials will help you grow closer to God. And I think this morning that would be everyone's prayers. God, help, help trials to encourage me and help me grow closer to you. But we find Paul doing that which is not expected, encouraging others when he's walking through a trial. We're gonna be challenged by this and encouraged by this this morning. So let's pray and then we'll get into our, our study. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just simply pray and ask the Lord to speak to you today? You can pray something simple of God. Would you please speak into my life this morning? And then would you make a commitment, God, if you speak to me, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to respond to you today. Dear Lord, we just want to come before you and we thank you for the love and the care that you've given to us. I'm thankful today for the music and just the opportunity to worship you and sing back to you and Lord, you are worthy of all of the praise that we could give. And so, Father, we just want to humble our hearts and bow before you today and recognize that, uh, that you want to speak into our lives. And so, God, I pray, Father, I pray that you'd speak to me. I humble my heart to you, and I ask you, Lord, that you'd help me to say the right words, the right actions, or that everything that's said and done in this message would honor and glorify you. I pray, Lord, for every individual in here that you would speak to us. I pray for those here this morning that don't know you as Savior, would you help them today to put their faith and their trust in you? And Father, we just, uh, we pray for each one of us that we would leave here encouraged and challenged by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we start this morning, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 13, Paul writes these words, wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. I'm not going to go through all of our previous messages, but if you've been here, you'll recall that Paul, he has just written to the believers at Ephesus, many of them Gentiles, and he had told them, hey, I'm in jail because of you. Well, what did, why was he writing that? Why would he say to the Gentiles, I'm in jail because of you. The reason was because he was preaching that Jesus was here to save everybody and that Jesus was here to bring everybody into his church and that Jesus was here to help everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. Well, the Jews in Jerusalem, they didn't like that. 
And so they arrested Paul. You can go read about it, Acts chapter number uh, 22 and 23. Here's Paul standing before uh, a, a Roman ruler and before all the people, and they listened to his message, everything about Jesus, all of it. They listened to everything up until he said, and Jesus offers things to the Jews and the Gentiles. Then there's this uproar, and he gets arrested and thrown in jail. And so Paul writes to the Gentiles at Ephesus. I'm in jail because of you, because of the Gentiles, because he was preaching that Jesus saves everybody. Aren't you thankful that Jesus offers salvation to everybody? And no matter who you are, he offers salvation to you. And you, like Paul, could say, I'm the least of all the saints. Maybe you, like Paul, would say, man, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. And yet Jesus still says, I love you and I gave my life so that you could have eternal life. And his forgiveness is not a picking and choosing forgiveness. His forgiveness is offered to everybody. And Paul was willing to go to jail for that. Paul was willing to go to jail for that truth. And so here he is now, verse number 13, and he writes to them. And he says to them, my desire is that you would, not, that, that you would faint not at my tribulation. That phrase, faint not, it means to be wearied or to be weakened. Hey, I don't want you to be weakened because I'm in jail. That's what he's saying. Verse 14, for this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So instead, Paul says this, I don't want you to be weakened by trials. Instead, here's what I'm praying will happen in your life because of my situation. And I think through the context of all of Ephesians, and we don't have time to do it this morning. I know many of you are bummed. We're not gonna be here till two. I know you want to. I, I know, fight back the excitement, I know. Uh, I know that we don't have the time to dig in, but... I believe there's great application that Paul is saying to these believers, here's not only what I'm praying would happen in your life because of my trial, here's what I'm praying would happen in your life when you go through trials. Four simple things that Paul prayed that the believers would experience in trials. I want you to notice, first of all today, Paul says, I'm praying that through this trial, number one, Christ will strengthen your life. I'm praying that Jesus Christ will strengthen you as you go through trials. Notice verse number 16. Paul says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Paul's prayer for the believer was that they would receive inner strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Paul saying, I am praying that God's spirit during a trial would be at work in you and that you would find strength from him. You know what? When you think about the idea of going through trials, every single one of us need to recognize that when we go through trials, uh, man, trials have a way of chipping away at the, the core of who you are, don't they? Man, tri trials have a way of, of really whittling you down to the point where you just think, well, what's the point of this? And what's the point of this trial? What's the point of me going in? I mean, if it's a marriage situation, what's the point of this marriage if, I'm, if, I'm going, if it's going to be like this? What's the point of this job? It might be the, the loss of a loved one or cancer or something like that. Man, trials have a way of chipping away at the inside of who we are. And yet here is what Paul said, and here's all the other places you could look at in scripture where we, we discover this truth that God desires to strengthen that part that is being whittled down. God desires to strengthen the inner man. He desires to strengthen the inner man. Well, what is the inner man? Well, the inner man is who we are on the inside. Duh. But here's what it is. This is the outer man 
Aren't I pretty? This is the outer man. The inner man is who you are in the core. The inner man, when you're saved, is the spiritual life that is in you, and it's the Holy Spirit that is in you. And the inner man is, is your emotions and your spirituality all wrapped up your character. It's who you are on the inside. And Paul says, I am praying that this trial, it's, it's here. And as trials come your way, I'm praying that you'd be able to journey through trials because you are powered by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice in the verse, it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his power in the inner man. Do you know what Paul says here? Paul is praying not just for a little power, but he's praying that God would give you exactly what you need. The phrase, according to the riches of his glory, it connects to out of his riches that we saw earlier. Here's what I'll say about this. If I was a, if I was a billionaire, if I was a billionaire and I gave you $10, if I'm a billionaire and I gave you $10, I have given to you out of my riches. Okay, I've given to you a portion, a very small portion. But if I'm a billionaire and I give you $10 million, I have given to you according to my riches. What's that mean, Pastor? The first is according to portion. The second is proportionate. It's according to proportion. We don't have time to dig into it. But here's Paul saying this. What I'm praying is that as you go through trials, God gives you proportionately exactly what you need. And don't we know that that's what God does? I found myself in trials asking God, God, where are you? God, where is your grace? God, what's going on? But I found over the years that as we go through trials, often we look back at those trials and we say, huh, wow, I got through it. Wow, I'm continuing through it. That is grace. We look back and we say, wow, God gave me the strength to move forward through a trial that I didn't think I could get through, a trial where I saw no end. And yet Paul is writing to them and he's saying, hey, this inner power, the inner, inner man that you have, I am praying that you would receive strength as you go through trials. This is that grace that we've been talking about. Paul already wrote about it. Ephesians chapter three and verse number seven. He said, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Hey, Paul accomplished a lot for God. And what did he look back on and say? He said in first Corinthians chapter 15, it wasn't me that did these great things. It was the grace of God or the strength of God that worked in me and worked through me. Hey, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a trial, you know, what I want. I want somebody praying that I would be strengthened on the inner man. But as I, as I watch other people go through trials, you know, it'd be healthy for me to do. God, would you help them to be strengthened by you? God, I know they want to quit. God, I know they want to give up, but God, would you please help them? And as a believer, as a child of God, there should be something in me that says, God, as I go through trials, I want you to strengthen me. And then we begin to trust in the, and have dependency upon the Holy Spirit of God. And we yield to him, allowing him to take control and to work within us. One man said it this way. 
He said it is only when we yield to the spirit and let him control the inner man that we succeed in living to the glory of God. How does this happen? This happens through the word of God, through prayer, through worship, through keeping a right heart with God and developing a love for God. Somebody would ask, well, pastor, I I want the strength of the Holy Spirit. How how do I do that as I'm going through trials? Hey, James chapter four, Jesus said it to James and James wrote it this way, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Sometimes when we're going through trials, the last thing we think about is picking up a Bible. We think, how can I solve this? How 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 can I make this go away? You know, God says, hey, I want you to turn to me. Hey, seek my strength. Hey, quit leaning on your own wisdom. Man, I, I hope today that as I go through trials that I would have a, the prayer of Paul, God, would you strengthen me in the inner man according to, according to your riches? That means he's going to give me exactly what I need. Paul says this morning, I'm praying that you would find strength from God, that Christ will strengthen your life. But secondly, notice Paul says this, I am praying that through this trial, Christ will be at home in your life. I'm praying that Christ will be at home in your life. Notice verse number 17, the first part of it. Paul says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Simply put, Paul is saying this, I am praying that Christ will feel at home in you as you go through a trial. Paul's prayer for these believers is that Jesus would feel like a resident and not a guest. You see, there's a difference between a guest and a resident, isn't there? We talk about it every now and then. We come across, across, excuse me, there's no T on that, across these passages. But a guest... A guest doesn't feel like they are at home in a place that is not theirs. We say it often, and then just the, the idea that if I were to come over to your house today, I think I even said it a couple weeks ago, I'm, going to, I'm not going to come into your house and just go right into the bedroom and change into a pair of shorts and t-shirt and walk and open the fridge and then turn the TV on. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. Why? Because I would be a guest in your home, but I'm going to do that at my home. Today, when I get home, I'll get home and maybe eat lunch. Well, we're going out to lunch, but we'll go out to lunch, go home and eat, or I might go home and eat again. But anyway, go home and, and change. And then you know what? There's, there's no problem with me going and open the fridge or grabbing a cup of coffee or getting something to drink or going and taking a nap. I'm going to do that. Why? Because I'm at home. It's my home. I'm a resident there. You know what the problem is with a lot of believers? With a lot of believers... The Lord is, while he lives in you and you know him as savior, you treat him more like a guest than you do a resident. What does a guest have? A guest has limited access. That's what a guest has. If you were a guest in my home, I I love you, but you're not taking a nap in my bed. I don't even let my kids get up on my bed. It drives me nuts. You're like, you're such a mean dad. I know, horrible. Uh, I don't like their grody little feet underneath my covers. Just, I just don't like it. It's just, do you want me to keep going what I don't like? Anyway, uh, you know what? You're, you're, you have limited access. If you're a guest, there's uh, a rule kind of in our house that most guests don't go into mine and my wife's walk-in closet because it's a wreck all the time. 
Wait, let me rephrase that. Because my sight is a wreck all the time. You have limited access. But a resident can walk freely in, walk freely out. You know what we do as believers sometimes with the Holy Spirit? We give him limited access. We have, we have, certain, we have certain doors, if you will, of our life. And, and it's like the Lord is like, hey, what's in this door? And we're like, oh, oh no, no, sorry, God, not, not that door. Well, what about over here? Oh, no, 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 Lord, not, not that room. No, God, here, you can stay in the living room of my life. God, not that room, not that, nope, not the garage, nope, God, not the store, definitely not the storage. You know what God wants? Hey, God wants access to all of your life. Many trial, many Christians need to quit treating God like a guest and give him full access. And here's what Paul is praying for these believers. He says in verse number, uh, verse number 17, I'm praying that Christ may dwell. That, that's the word, dwell. It means to be at home in. It means to abide completely in. It means to have full access in. I am praying that as you go through a trial, that Jesus Christ would have unlimited access into your life. Why would Paul pray this? It's because, listen, it's because when we go through trials, we're often tempted to give in to sin quicker. When we go through trials, we're tempted to throw up our hands and say, forget it. And why do we do that? We do that because we, like the believers, think about this. Think about the believers in, in Ephesus and remember the context of what Paul is writing. He is concerned about the reader. The reader that he's writing to, he's concerned not wanting them to be weakened or discouraged by the trial that Paul was in. You know what they could have been thinking? Those believers, they could have been thinking, man, we are living in a hard time. Those believers, they could have been thinking, man, if Paul got arrested, I mean, this is Paul. What, what's gonna happen to us? If Paul dies, what's gonna take place in our life? The, now, we have to understand, they weren't living in, in Americanized Christianity. You know, like right now, today, we don't have to worry about someone coming in and arresting us for worshiping. You don't have to worry. You can take a Bible and carry it anywhere in the United States. Still, you can do this. I don't know if you knew this. You can still carry a Bible anywhere. You can carry it, if you're, if you're a teenager, you can take a Bible to school and they, they can't can't tell you you now you can't bring that here. No, no, you can take it to school. And if you're if you work somewhere, you can take it to work. We still have all of these freedoms. They weren't living in that. Man, they were experiencing first generation Christianity and facing these deep perils of, of persecution from outside sources, from Rome and from the Jewish Sanhedrin and from different religions and, and mythologies and things like that. And yet here they are saying, hey, we wanna live out our faith. And as Paul writes to them, he's in this trial and he's like, hey, I am praying that as you walk through a trial that Jesus would be at home in your heart, that you wouldn't push him out of certain areas because you're going through a trial because the fact is, when we go through trials, oftentimes we're tempted to just say, what is the point? And I give in to, it, to, the, to this sin or to that sin. And here's Paul writing to them. And he is saying, hey, don't, don't give in to that little temptation to step back. Don't give in to only give God limited access in your life. No, I am praying that God, that Jesus Christ, that he would be at home, that he would dwell in your heart. Hey, give God full access. 
I would ask you to look introspectively today into your own life and ask yourself this question, is Jesus Christ at home in your life? Is he at home in your life? Hey, what areas, what areas of your life have you pushed the Lord out of and said, no, God, not this room? What Paul was praying here was for the believers to have a a deeper experience in the midst of a trial, to really experience the fullness of God. We'll see that in just a second, but I love how one man said it. He said, Paul yearned for Christ to settle down and feel at home in their hearts, not a surface relationship, but an ever-deepening fellowship. I liken this to the illustration of a married couple, a couple getting married. I don't know, those of you that have been married, you know, when you got married, uh, those first few years, you're just kind of getting to know each other, you know, and there's, you're like, should I say this? I mean, I don't know, like, does, does, you know, does she want me to bring her flowers? Does he want me to do that? I, just, I don't know what to do, you know, and uh, then you get like 20 years into marriage and you're like, ah, I still don't know what to do, you know, but anyway, you know what, but as you grow to know your spouse, you, you gain in, a, in a, a marriage where there's love and where it's based completely upon the Lord. You know what you're gonna gain? Not every marriage, but where the Lord is first. You know what you're gonna gain? You're gonna gain that ever-deepening fellowship. That's what God wants in your life. He doesn't want just a surface relationship. I've met plenty of couples, and you have too, that they're married on the outside, but their marriage on the inside is not. It's not what, what God would want it to be. It's not what they want. And I've had people at church, you know, and they're like, they're the, you know, hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time, excited. But you know that as soon as they get home, man, it's World War III. Man, you know what? God, God doesn't want that in your life with him and you, right? God doesn't want it to be you at church like, yeah, me and God, that's a surface relationship. Hey, this morning, we had some great music, didn't we? And praise the Lord for Brian and the music team and all of that this morning, all the work that went into that. But I don't want to just see, I don't want to just sing today, let it be today that we shout the hymn of heaven. I don't want to just sing that today. I want to sing it tomorrow and mean it tomorrow and mean it on Tuesday and on Wednesday and whatever trials come on Thursday. Man, you know what that is? That's me saying, Christ, I want you to be at home in my life. Paul writes to these believers and he says, I'm praying, number one, that Christ will strengthen your life. Number two, I'm praying that Jesus would be at home in your life. Number three, I am praying that through this, Christ would bring depth to your life. Now, don't miss this, verse number 17. It says that ye being rooted and grounded in love. The thought continues, but there's a sub-thought right here that I want us to look at, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. The fact of the matter is this, that when Jesus Christ is at home in your heart, the outcome will be that you will be rooted or growing deeper and grounded or having more a stronger foundation in the love of Jesus Christ. You are going to grow in the depth of your love for him. Paul uses a couple of pictures to convey this idea of spiritual depth. The word rooted, it kind of leads leads us into the plant world. A tree got to have deep roots and healthy soil for it to both have nourishment and stability. A tree's roots have to go deep into the ground for it to be strong and to weather the storms. And spirituality for a Christian is the same. We've got to have deep spiritual roots in the love of God to weather the storm. 
The psalmist said it this way, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he, that man who is meditating on the Lord, he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Psalms chapter one, verse one through three is a perfect description of this word rooted. Man, there's gonna be life in that rose roots go deep. Jeremiah shows kind of a good commentary on a rooted tree. It says this, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord for he shall be like a heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. But blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall not, or excuse me, shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Here's what Paul is saying in, in Ephesians, just connecting all of this, that, hey, if you are going through a trial, I am praying that you would be going deeper in your love for the Lord, that you'd be rooted, that you'd be like that tree in Psalm 1, not that, not that uh, 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 weed in the desert that's just blown about. We have tumbleweeds all around here. We're about to come into tumbleweed season, right? How many remember a couple years ago, Highway 17, right out here by Home Depot? Man, there was like a wall of tumbleweeds, you know? I mean, it was like, uh, I think there was one, one time when it was like 12 feet high and like 17 feet long or something. Someone went out. I don't know who measured it, but anyway, man, it's just huge driving past it. Man, those tumbleweeds, they just blow everywhere. There's not a good root system. A storm, man, a little wind comes and they go away. You know what happens in some Christians' lives? Because they're not rooted. Oh, they don't lose their salvation. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, your salvation is dependent solely upon him, not upon you. You don't ever have to worry about losing it. But oftentimes the trials come in life and they just simply blow us away from where we should be. They simply blow us away from fellowship with God. And this is what Paul is saying. I am praying that you would be rooted, that you'd be grounded. Grounded is an architectural term. It refers to the foundations that we build upon. One man said it this way, the most important part of a building is the foundation. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. The same is true in the Christian life. If I don't go deeper and deeper into the love of Christ, man, I can't keep growing higher and higher and accomplishing things for Christ. Hey, the trials of life test the depth of our Christianity. Did you know that? Did you know the trials of life, they, they, uh, they challenge, they test the depth of Christianity. The storm that blows reveals the strength of the roots. Jesus told the story in Matthew chapter number seven at the end of the Sermon on the Mount of the one man who built his house upon the sand and the other who built it upon a good foundation. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, I am praying that believers would have a deeper experience and love God in a deeper way as they go through trials. I wonder how real and how deep is your relationship with Christ? You see, trials have a way of revealing the depth of our relationship. And if we run or struggle at the first little challenge, the first little wind of trial that comes our way, we may need to strengthen the roots of our relationship with Christ. But I want you to notice what he says in verse number 17. He says that ye being rooted and grounded in love. 
in love. We say this often here at church, but love should be the motivating factor in your relationship with the Lord. I love the thought that Paul is just kind of saying this. Hey, I'm praying that as you go through a trial, that you'll just go deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. That love would be your motivator. Unfortunately, Christianity, we have allowed it, and every, every generation has allowed it. But oftentimes, the motivator for our Christian walk with God and our Christian life living for the Lord, often the motivator is people. We, we come to church and we read the Bible and we accomplish things in our Christian life because people expect it of us. You know what? Someday those people are not gonna be there. Who are you gonna, how are you gonna live for the Lord then? I think today that when you do things because of people, it, it gets old after a while. When you do things because of what others think, you will disappoint somebody. You can't please everybody. When you fulfill certain parts of your Christian life because it's just the way you were taught and it's all that you know, hey, there's gonna come a question into your Christian life that you can't answer. When you live for, as a Christian because of someone else, again, they soon will not be there. But when you live out your Christian life being motivated by a love for the Lord, his love, it changes you from the inside out. Now I have a reason as to why I do what I do. Now I have a motive to help me move forward. And if we're not careful in the Christian life, do you know what we do sometimes? We accomplish the Christian life, read the Bible, pray. We do things for the wrong reasons. And then we wonder, why don't I feel peace with God? Why don't I feel grace? Why don't I feel strength? Why don't I? It's because we're doing it with the motive of impressing somebody or the motive of, well, that's just what we've always done. No, you know what? Every single day I should get up and spend time with the Lord because I love him. Every day I should want to live, I should want to live right for the Lord, not because of people expecting it of me. No, no, no. I should want to live right for the Lord because I love him. I should want to make healthy choices for my life because I love him. Hey, I should desire to be the right type of husband or wife because I love him. Sons and daughters, listen, you should desire to be the right son or the right daughter, not because your parents are going to come down hard on you and you might get in trouble. No, desire to be the teenager that loves your parents, the the young person that respects your mom and dad, that gives them the, uh, the, uh, the honor. The Bible says honor your parents. Hey, it is a good thing to honor your parents in life. You should desire to do that, not simply because you're told to or asked to, but because I'm doing it as unto the Lord. I'm honoring them just like I would honor the Lord. Why? Because I love him. When I come to church, we talked about it last week, I should want to sing out. Why? Because I love him. I should want to sit and listen to the preaching. Why? Because I love him. As a pastor, I should want to get up and my motivator should be, hey, I'm not trying to please people, although uh, we've talked about this. Yes, you want people to be blessed by the message and helped by the message and all that sort of stuff, but I should want to get up and preach the message because I love the Lord. Man, God, I just want to preach this because I love you and I should study because I love the Lord and counsel because I love the Lord. Hey, everything we should do, everything we accomplish in the Christian life should be motivated by our love for God. And Paul said, I'm praying that as you go through a trial, I'm praying you'll just go deeper in love with the Lord. What's the last thing Paul prayed? Number four, he said this, I'm praying that Christ 
through your trial that Jesus Christ would bring understanding to your life. Notice verse 18 and 19. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. The words comprehend and apprehend, they both stem from the root word which means to grasp or to lay hold of. Paul wanted the reader to personally know and live in the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, but he wanted it to impact every area of their life. The idea that Paul gets to here, I'm just gonna skip ahead, is this, that when I understand who Christ is and what I have in him, it brings understanding and perspective to my trials. Here's what Paul is praying. I am praying that as you go through a trial, you would experience the fullness of God. What does that mean? I'm praying that you would see things the way he sees them. If I see things the way God sees them, you know what it does? It causes trials to have context. It causes trials to begin to maybe not make sense, but they begin to broaden the horizon of our mind in a bigger picture. And we can go through a trial and we can go through a loss and we can go through a heartache and we can go through a financial situation, but because we're seeing it through the lens of God, we can trust Romans chapter eight, knowing that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But some of us, we are so, we, our focus is so finite. Our focus is so small that we go through trials and we are only focused upon the here and now and getting out of my situation and only God, I, I thought I I've been living for you. God, I thought, I mean, I've been in church. I mean, God, I've read the Bible a few times. I mean, God, I would begin to make up all of these reasons as to why the trial should not be in our life. And yet, when we look at it through the lens or the perspective of God, you know what we're able to do? We're able to say, God, I, I know I can't make sense of this, but I'm just trusting you. And that's what Paul is praying. Hey, I'm praying that you would be able to comprehend, to grasp with other saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that ye would be filled with all the fullness of God. I am praying that as you go through trials, you would have a heavenly perspective on your earthly challenges. Man, what a great thing to pray as I go through trials. God, give me heavenly perspective on my earthly challenges. But lastly today, I want us to note how Paul finishes this. In verse 19 and 20, when he says this, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout, the, throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Here's what Paul closes this <clears throat> portion of the passage with. Basically, Paul says, moreover, I pray that all the glory would go to God. But I want you to remember something. <laughs> that God that we're praying glory goes to, remember that he is able to do abundantly, exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. His plans and desires are greater than we could even ask or think. If you were here back in February, we had Pastor Bill Prater that was here and preaching from this passage in our church and preached the fact that we pray small prayers because we forget how big our God is. 
And here's Paul giving all the glory to God, but in doing so, he draws our attention to the fact that the Lord has all things in store for the believer. Why would Paul do this? Listen again, because of everything that these believers were going through, Paul was simply praying and saying, hey, I am praying that through trials, you are not weakened and discouraged, but instead that you would receive strength and that you would go deeper in love with the Lord and that you would have an understanding and see things as God sees them. And Paul, why would you say, at the end, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Because no doubt some of the readers like you and I were sitting there with doubt. And they were saying, well, Paul, that's fine for you to say. I mean, Paul, you've seen God do big things in your life. I I have never really seen God do big things in my life. And I've never seen God answer. And we begin to look at the negative in life and we begin to get our our eyes more focused upon our doubts rather than upon the God that we are praying to. And here's what Paul was closing with. Hey, he deserves all glory, but I wanna encourage you. He can strengthen you when you go through a trial. He can help you be more in love with him as you travel through a trial. Hey, he can bring context to your suffering and he can give you understanding. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Hey, God can do some big things. You have a big God, not a little G God. You serve the God. And so Paul writes, unto him, unto this God, all glory belongs. So quit praying small prayers. Quit praying, God, just get me through this trial. No, God, make me stronger in this trial. Quit praying, God, get me out of this trial. How about praying, God, help me to see it the way that you see it. And here's what Paul is just really helping them understand. You don't pray to a little God. You pray to Jehovah God. So quit praying small prayers. Quit going through a trial and doubting. Oh, it's so easy to do, isn't it? Pastor, it's easy to preach. I know. I can get up here and easily say it, but when trials come in my life, you know what I'm prone to do? Like you, I'm prone to say, God, where are you? God, did you quit on me? God, did you? And here's Paul just looking at them and saying, hey, I'm not writing this to discourage you in this trial, but instead in the midst of, in the midst of my trial, I am praying for you. I am praying that Christ will strengthen your life, that he will be at home in your life, that he would bring depth to your life and that he would bring understanding to your circumstances. And I want you to remember that God is able to do all of this and more. And so here's my question for you and I today. What trial or what struggle, what challenge, hey, what temptation, what is it in your life that is too hard for God? Hey, what is too hard for God in your life? What is the the area of your life that you're saying, man, God's given up on me? What is the trial that you've been walking through that you're throwing in the towel and saying, God, what's the point? Hey, what is too hard for God? Can I answer it today with uh, the angels in the book of Genesis? And can I answer it with Abraham in the book of Genesis and all of the uh, uh, hall of faith characters in Hebrews chapter number 11 and simply say with Mary as as, uh, she stood there in Luke chapter number one and was given the idea that Jesus would come through her and the angel said unto her, is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no, nothing is too hard for God. With God, all things are possible. Hey, with God, you can have victory. With God, you can have a a, a harmonious home. You can have a good marriage. With God, you can get along with the coworkers. With God, you can see, uh, be strengthened even when you go through loss and heartache. Hey, with God, you can come out stronger of a trial than you are in the trial. 
but it's all about God. It's about focus. And you know what Paul is saying to them and I believe challenging us with today? There's, there's tons of challenges we could have on this. I mean, I think of one challenge. Who do you pray for when you're going through your trials? That's a challenge. God, help me to pray for others. I think there's a great challenge of asking people to pray for me when I'm going through a trial. Even though Paul didn't, there's a challenge to do it. But I think probably the, the challenge I want to focus on today is just this thought. What challenge, what trial are you facing that's causing you to be weakened and discouraged? And today you need to step back and say, God, there's nothing too hard for you. And so God, I just want to pray with Paul. Would you help me to receive your strength? Would you help me not to limit your access in my life? God, would you help me to grow deeper in love with you because of this? And God, would you help me to see things how you see things? I think if every one of us would sincerely and genuinely go into and be in our trials with that attitude, we serve a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I think God would help us more. I think God would, would equip us more. Why? Because we're opening up to him. God's not gonna force grace and mercy and strength into your life. He just doesn't do that. He's not gonna force his presence into your life. Oh, he's, if you know him, he's there, but you've got him shut away in a closet. Hey, open the door up today and say, God, everything. Everything is yours. Maybe you're not in a trial right now. My wife says it this way, trials are like Walmart, Right? <laughs> You're either at Walmart, going to Walmart, or just coming from Walmart. You know what? Trials, you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to go into a trial. We don't know what we're going to face this week, but may God help us, every one of us, to simply go into our trials this week knowing nothing is too big for us. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.